Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good Friday morning on this Friday the 13th. I'm not into that. I'm not really worried about that. I've actually had good luck on Fridays. Oh, yeah, I'm not Carmen. This is Mornings with Carmen. Just Carmen's off today. She and her husband are on a trip down to Florida. Hopefully they're having a good time with family and such. I'm Paul Perot, usually the producer on the other side of the board. That's where Ryan, our trusted co-producer and jack of all trades, because you, you get shifted around a lot, Ryan. I do. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Well, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day is, as you just heard a little bit ago, Titus 2, 11 and 12. I'm going to read the full uh, two verses here. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And I'm going to go with verses 13 and 14 because I just like the gospel being presented in this, because it's not just a works thing. For we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus will be revealed. He gave us his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Now, one of the catchphrases we use here at Faith Radio quite often is connecting faith to life. Because we believe that the gospel of Jesus, by its very nature, affects how you live your life. And that is very apparent if you've ever read the book of Titus. If not, I urge you to do so. It's only three chapters. It's a quick read. It's a letter from the elderly apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus, whom he commissioned to work on the island of Crete to train leaders and build the church up there. Now, Crete, if you look at the map, you know, you look at the Mediterranean Sea, it's a very strategic, uh, very strategically placed for the Roman Empire and the Greeks before that. It was both important militarily as well as commercially, but it really was not a nice place to live. The people there, well, have you ever heard of somebody being called a Cretan? Or as Charles Emerson Winchester III on MASH would say, Cretan. Well, there's a reason for that. Cretans were known for being a rough bunch. Not that the rest of the Greek and Roman world would, you know, be considered a moral bunch, but even by their standards, the the Cretans were very immoral. There was a famous Cretan about 600 years before Jesus, Epimenides, with the famous quote, the people of Crete are liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Paul even quotes Epimenides earlier in the letter, adding, this is a true statement. Yeah, these were a rough bunch. This book, though, seems to have two concerns, if you were to read it. One, we won't get into right now, but just quickly mentioning it, Paul was concerned about those who had tried and truncate the Christian faith into just doing certain religious practices like circumcision, you know, Jewish rituals. Paul rejects that, and for good reason, we won't get into right now, was a common battle he had that he mentions in several epistles. But the second one is important. 
he was calling us to live lives that honor the gospel we preach. After all, the world we live in is an evil world. I don't think Paul means the material world per se, you know, the ground, the plants, the animals, stuff like that. The evil world he's talking about is our fallen humanity. Ways that go against God's moral law and his ways of love. The things God built into his creation that promote life and flourishing. The Cretans were essentially anti-God in all their ways. The Ten Commandments? They, they took that as challenges probably if they were to read it and say, Oh, I can break that. Yeah, I can break that. I'll break that. Hey, I am breaking that. Well, Paul is calling Titus to lead believers in Crete to live differently, to live in kingdom ways, not to save themselves, but because they are saved, now be part of the kingdom, live that life to do those good deeds. And they should, and, and we should live in this evil world, not escaping the evil surrounding it, but live in it, showing forth God's life-giving ways. And to do so, and the key, verses, the key part of the verse we're looking at today, to do so with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Let's look at those backwards for a moment. There's a reason I want to do that. Devotion to God. Isn't that where the Ten Commandments start? The first, uh, you know, three, four commandments focus on our relationship with God, to honor him, be devoted to him. He's the center. Then live righteously. That gets you through the rest of the Ten Commandments, honoring your father and mother, sexual purity, being truthful in your dealings, no stealing, no coveting, all that. But it doesn't stop there. Living out wisdom. That takes the next step. One of my Bible professors, who you hear oftentimes on uh, Bill Arnold's show, uh, Mark Muska, when he was teaching here at uh, the University of Northwestern, talked about wisdom to be skillful living, skillfully living out the ways of God, and how we live out these ways skillfully to redeem, redeeming our families, redeeming our communities, and in ways that express, um, the, in ways that are expressions and outgrowths of kingdom living. Again, not to save us, but because we have been saved and been brought into the kingdom. Let's live it out. Let's connect faith to life in all our dealings, including including for those we see who are in need. Now, hopefully by now, as you've been listening to Faith Radio, especially the last few weeks, you've been hearing us talk about and inviting you to become a child champion, sponsoring a child living in poverty through the ministry of one child. My wife and I do. We fell in love with... Uh, one child, at least I did about 14 months ago when I was on a trip to Honduras as part of a team from Northwestern Media. And one of the key people who helped organize the trip was Eva Guerrero. Our whole team fell in love with Eva. I remember as we were leaving at the airport in Honduras and she was saying goodbye. Okay, I, I, I'll admit I started it chanting, Eva, Eva. Anyway, Eva is a great lady. She joins me in just a few moments as we continue Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on this Friday. No, Carmen's out, so I guess technically it's Mornings without Carmen. I'm Paul, filling in. And, you know, there's been a lot of news recently, actually not just recently, for years, about the flood of immigrants coming to the U.S. southern border. People from countries like Haiti and Venezuela and Nicaragua and Honduras are fleeing their homes, their countries, because they're not safe. And even worse, they feel hopeless for their countries. Some are staying and fighting. 
to providing hope to the people living there. A lot of them, there's a lot of churches who are seeking to live wisely, as we were just talking about, in the broken situation of their nation to provide hope. That's where one child is coming in. They support some of these churches that are focusing on children living in poverty, supporting their work. You know, back in November of 2021, I visited uh, Honduras and saw the work of One Child and the work of these churches and their hope centers. And the person that helped to organize and basically was our was our trip mom was Eva Guerrero, who joins me right now here on Faith Radio. Eva, Eva, you're back. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I, I, I was just remembering <laughs> the time when you say that. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, Eve, I tell that you. That was fun. <laughs> it was. We loved being with you. It was great having you. And the part that really got us was all of us who were on that uh, trip through Northwestern Media, we just fell in love with you and your love for the children of Honduras. And that's what I'm going to focus on now. First, Tell us about your country. I could talk about Honduras, but I'm coming at it from an outsider point of view. When I flew in, you know, I saw a beautiful country, but then as the plane was landing and seeing some of the some of the rubble of various buildings and some of the poverty-stricken areas, it's like, okay, that's me. I'm I'm come from this nice, you know, U.S. Everything looking pretty much okay to that. So that struck me. But what strikes you when you think about your home country of Honduras? Um, the first thing, I love my country. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. Agreed. I mean, beautiful. Uh, we have like 80% mountains. Mm-hmm. And in the rainy season, everything gets green, like beautiful old leaves and trees and flowers with very shiny colors. And the people, the people likes to laugh speak loud and be hugged and <laughs> things like that. That but is true. then we have some part of people. I was that part of people when I didn't have Jesus in my heart that we don't see that part. We just start seeing like, oh, there is no employment here. Oh, there is no way I can make it. Or maybe I don't, why I even studying in school, like in the south of our country, we have a lot of children. Um, I can give you an example. One of the child, he gets, gets up like 4, 4.30 in the morning. He mm. goes and digs sand from the river. And after digging sand on the river, he goes very early because of the sun. And uh, after digging sand, like for a couple of hours during the morning, he had to go home, change into the universe, uh, uniform, and go to school. So the motivation that child has to study is just gone. He's tired. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all this situation start changing the mindset. It's like, why I'm doing this, why I'm studying. Okay. I don't, I'm, it's just like, I'm making, even if it's just a little bit of money, but I'm making it. So why I need to study? My parents are doing the same thing. And I don't think I will get out of this. Mm. And like you say, some of them see movies, 
you have seen the movies so in made in Hollywood, like oh, yeah, plenty old, of them. old shiny, shiny big houses, and the girls have time just to be putting makeup on, and and it's a different life that they idolize, and that's what happened. That they say, oh, if I go there, I'm going to be that way, mm. and of course, it's not true. No. You, the only way you can change, and that's something that we have proved, is if you have Jesus in your heart. And that doesn't matter the place where you are at. That's when you're really going to have a better life. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Because you will have the, the what can I tell you, the Heavenly Father that is going mm -hmm. to be with you through everything. Right. right. So that's really our idea. That's our mission, to bring to those children, like, the love, the belief of the Lord, that they can meet Jesus in their life, and they can see that doesn't matter where they are, there are going to be problems, but they can overcome with the Lord. Yes, and in, that's what we're trying to do here. We are doing it. I, I have, I'm, I'm confident to tell you. <laughs> We're doing it because I, I have seen testimonies. Uh, Ava, I, I'm going to have to agree with you, and we're going to continue talking about that shortly, but I saw the work of what you and the different hope centers and the, like, I still call you guys mama bears because you're the mama bear of the mama bears. <laughs> and we'll talk, yes, about some those mom, <laughs> we'll talk about some of those mama bears in a little bit and the work of one child in the hope centers in Honduras. Uh, again, after this trip, I sponsored a child, Maylin's her name, and she's from Honduras, my wife and I, I should say, because it was jointly agreed upon. And I hope you do it as well. We're asking you, and we will in, in force ask you next to, uh, Thursday and Friday to join in sponsoring a child, becoming a child champion. You can find out more information right now at MyFaithRadio.com. See pictures of kids and maybe sponsor one. Again, I'm Paul sitting in for Carmen. We'll continue our conversation with Eva in just a few moments here on Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with one child again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through one child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, health care services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement. The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen today here on Faith Radio. Good morning. Talking right now with Eva Guerrero. She officially is support care manager for One Child in Honduras, but my title is Mama Bear to the Mama Bears. Hey, Eva, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. And again, talking about the organization One Child, which is sponsored in over, I think, 15 countries now, they help local churches that run these hope centers to help kids 
No. Well, they help them with food. They help them with their education and other social needs, but also sharing the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. And Eva, tell us about when you got involved with One Child. This is what you were doing professionally a lot of your life, was it? Um, No. (laughs) No, I was was a teacher in a school and... uh... I think at that time, uh, things got a little rough and, uh, they needed somebody to help with one in that time was schools that had hope centers. Mm-hmm. I never hear about it. So I went there and I started looking at the children and uh, how they look so happy mm-hmm. there. But then, I got impacted for one of the girls, a little one. I asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she told me, when I get out of school, I want to have a child like my sister. I was just like, this Mm. is not right. (laughs) This is not supposed to be like this. And uh, that's when I was like, no, we have to do something. We have to to learn how, how the Lord what the Lord wants for these persons, even if they're just little children, they already have a purpose the Lord has mm-hmm. given them. So now I'm working with Hope Centers, and that time was with school. We have schools in a few of the countries, mm-hmm. but in Honduras, we are just partnering with churches. Right. And uh, the churches, you know, they don't take vacation. They always, it's not like in the school, they always working. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was a teacher, I try, I will try to portray what a hope center looks to me. It's like maybe when you have been in the dark and then you go to a place that has a lot of light. Maybe you have been cold and then you go to a place where is a fire warm inside there. Mm-hmm. How your eyes will look like. <laughs> how your face will look like when you go there or maybe when you're hungry and you go to a place where they give you a a, a plate of food and uh, something to drink for you mm-hmm. that's that's why i i think the hope center is for the children and even the families when they go there that's the churches and inside the churches the hope center especially for the children who are hungry outside. Some of the children, they had never had meat in their home. Mm, They are allowed to have meat and the Hope Center. Mm -hmm. And about the warm, I can tell you, when the parents go to work all day, some some of the children stay by themselves in their home. And they go to this place. Then they find a child champions, mama bear, like you say, <laughs> yes. that they just waiting with a smile in their eyes and they start hugging them as soon as they arrive. And if they throw a tantrum, they just don't start like, don't believe, okay, he has to get out. No, they try to understand what is happening in the life of the children. They give them advice and they they are patient enough just to sit with them through years because these children stay at the Hope Center since some of them, they started when they are three and they finish when they're 18. That's the way we 
we work to make an impact in their lives. Yeah, Eva, I got to say, yeah. we you, you as you organize the trip, some of the people who are translators were graduates of these hope centers, so to speak. They they went through the program, and I tell you the. The brightness in their eyes, the hope in their hearts, they had, a, they had a vision of what God meant for them to be that I didn't see when traveling around in a lot of other people's eyes, including adults. It was I, – I look at eyes, and again, the children, some, some just come into the Hope Center. They're still trying to feel this out, but as they go through the program, as they're loved upon, as they hear about the gospel and what God is for them – and salvation in Jesus, their their whole countenance changes. <laughs> I, I love the fact you get to see that every day, actually. It's, it's just cool, isn't it? Yes. Yes. You know, like, I experience that when I don't go, like, for a little while. And at the beginning, you know, you go to a Hope Center, and if I have team, I even tell them. Don't expect the child to be well behaved, please. <laughs> Some <laughs> for of them once they, Yes, for once they're three, four years old, especially when they are new at the Hope Center, then they don't have at home somebody who gives them guidelines. And then mm-hmm. they have never heard about a God that loves them. They are starting to understand that is somebody who is willing to be with them all their life and is going to just hold them and understand them. The child champions have the love of the Lord Mm -hmm. and they are showing that love to them. So at the beginning, it's just like they're stiff when you hug them. They don't want to get close to you or... But then at the end, they just run to the arms of the the lady or men. We have a few men who are working with the children too. And they just run there because the hope and the love of the Lord just little by little start to impregnate the, their lives. Right. And they start seeing everything with different eyes. They start seeing, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you just because I have a plate of food in my table. I'm not looking what I'm missing. Like my house is not a castle. My No. We went to the house of one of the girls every time it rains. It's like, how can I tell you, on the mountain and one of the walls is the mountain, really. Yeah. So when it rains, the water drips on the floor and all the living room. But, you know, they start looking, okay, that is happening, but I have a roof over my head. Right. My head. I have a, a, a refuge, and the Lord provides for that. The child champions teach them that they have to see the bright side, so they start looking at other things, not just the bad things. And then they start thinking, I can do something better. I can be better because somebody is with me and somebody is going to help me. It's called through the child champions. And even like you say, we have some that are graduated from the university and now they come back some of them work at the Hope Centers. Well, mm-hmm. it's not yes, they do. 
I say work, but these volunteers, they yeah. don't get anything, only the the satisfaction that they're doing something for the Lord. Hey, so Ava. they give their time. I hate to do this, yeah. Ava, we're out of time. Okay, Wait, that's why. <laughs> I, thank you for joining us. Again, I, I love the fact, and I love because... Seeing these hope centers at work, again, providing not just food, you talked about food a lot because that is a big issue, but also talking about the fact that you give them educational support and the gospel. It's amazing seeing the transformation in these kids. And so my salute to you and the Mamba Bears and the Papa Bears running the hope centers down in Honduras and other parts of the world as well. Again, I urge you, if you, you can be part of this, visit MyFaithRadio.com, sponsor a child, become a child champion, stand with these mama bears and papa bears and those child champions helping these kids thrive. Again, you can find more information and even sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. Eva, I hope someday to get down there with my wife to visit our child down in yes, Honduras. Yes, One of these days. <laughs> and I'd love to meet up with you again. But again, thanks for joining us here on Faith Radio. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. Well, I'm Paul Perot filling in for Carmen. This is Mornings with Carmen. Here's uh, Max Lucado. I tell you, sponsoring a child is just a great way of pushing back the dark. One thing even I didn't talk about, which I wish we could have gotten into, but um, one of the big problems down in Honduras, I mean, they have a corrupt government and they also have gang activity, which is really bad. And yet, even with that, um, there's gang members who want their kids part of the Hope Centers. And they are, many are, because even they want something better for their kids. And you can be part of that, offering hope, offering help, and actually maybe even, if God so wills, bringing order and hope and wholeness to countries like Haiti or Honduras or whatever. Uh, Yeah, you can do it one child at a time and join one child in doing that. Again, you can call this number, 800-864-0200, or easier, just go to our website, MyFaithRadio.com, and you can look at children to sponsor right there. Okay, we're going to change gears here because there's been a new study about how being on social media, okay, I'll admit, I really got hooked on social media early, or when I first got a cell phone, maybe it wasn't social media, but I got hooked on checking my work and home emails on my cell phone because, you know, I was, uh, you know, just busy, and then I just kept doing it, and, and then checking the news, and then, of course, social media just made it that much worse. Um, yeah. It, and I'm an adult. I, I didn't have my first smartphone until I think was well into my 30s, and, well, let's just put it this way. If it affected me, what is it doing to our kids and how their brains are wired? And we're going to talk about that with Chris Martin from the Terms of Service blog in just a few moments. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today. Okay, question for you. How many times have you checked your cell phone? You know, maybe checking your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feeds. I, I know it's only still early in the morning, but it's, 
it's crazy how a lot of us, one of the first things we do when we gr- get up in the morning, we grab our phone and start seeing, okay, what did I miss overnight? What did I miss overnight? Or stuff like that. Yeah, it's wired our brains differently as adults, but you, you know, here I am, I'm in my mid 50s, hate to admit that. But uh, I didn't have a smartphone early on. Our kids have. How has that wired their brains? To talk about that, we have Chris Martin, who is our, I guess, social media uh, internet guru. Terms of Service blog is his blog. He's also got a book out by the name Terms of Service. Hey, Chris, thanks again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, glad to be here, Paul. Glad to be here and talk about uh, this new research and social media in general. Okay, first of all, I have to ask you, how many times have you checked your phone this morning already? Oh, good question. Um, you know, I've probably checked it three or four times. I've been up. I've been up since ten after five, so three or four times in the last hour and a half. And uh, yeah, because I'm kind of sitting at my desk getting ready for work and want to make sure nothing is on fire overnight in the email and that sort of thing. So yeah, a couple times for sure. Okay. Well, again, we're adults. You you didn't get your first smartphone until what age? Uh, I was a sophomore in college when I got my first smartphone. Um, I got my first cell phone, I think, when I was a freshman in high school. I was on the high school football team, and mom and dad wanted to be able to figure out when to come pick me up easily. So, um, yeah, a lot of my friends, I had none of my friends had cell phones in elementary school because that would have been you know, back when cell phones were carried in bags, not really, but close. <laughs> True um, enough. And uh, those brick no, phones, no, no fifth grade. Yeah. No, no fifth graders walking around with a brick phone or a car phone. Um, <laughs> like maybe they're walking around with iPhones today. So no, none of my peers or myself had cell phones in elementary school, but I would say I was not the first to have a cell phone. I definitely had some friends in middle school who had those early Motorola razors and things like that. Um, and then I, yeah, I don't think I got my first one until I was a, f- a freshman on the football team. This mm. is when I first got my first one in general. And then because we were on Verizon and uh, first of all, my parents just didn't think I needed a smartphone in general, which kind of made sense. Cause back then, <laughs> you know, in, in the early aughts, you only had a cell phone. You only had a smartphone if you were really doing email, you know, like if, exactly. because you weren't watching you weren't watching TV shows or anything because we're no. talking Blackberries and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the when the iPhone came out in 2007, uh, I remember sitting in my my high school journalism class watching them, you know, like announce it. And uh, I remember being like, oh, man, see, I want because I love my iPod <laughs> video and I love the idea of being able to watch like a TV show on your phone. That mm-hmm. really blew my mind. But we but my family was on Verizon and it only came out on singular back in the day. Now, ah, now yes. AT&T. Uh, and I was like, well, I can't, I can't get that until my parents decide to switch carriers or they decide to open it up to more carriers. And then, you know, it was my sophomore year of college when they brought it to Verizon and that, that allowed me to actually get one. So that's my, that's my smartphone story. And if there's any people who are teenagers right now or early twenties listening to that's like, oh, there is uh, there is this weird time before smartphones, but, uh, okay. But they are the smartphone generation. And how that yeah. has how has that affected the wiring of their brain? Really, the wiring, how the synapses work. Sure. Yeah. And and before we even get into this data, and, and it's in these articles that we kind of pass back and forth about this study, it's important to say that, that research about how social media affects the brain is really difficult, especially among teenagers. Um, is researching how social media affects the brain is really difficult, really, because researching how anything affects the brain is really difficult. I am not a brain scientist, but I've read enough of data like this over the years as I've studied social media. And I've just read researchers time and time again say, 
so many different things affect people's brains in different ways. And there are just so many factors that to isolate why or how one particular thing affects someone's brain can feel nearly impossible. So it's really hard to draw what researchers call a causal relationship between something affecting the brain and whether or not, you know, it, it caused their action. Um, they're able to do some things regarding trauma or particularly, you know, meaningful events. Um, but for something like continual social media use, it can be a bit blurry as to how, like how people's brains are affected. And the best you can really do is take two groups of people and that are living largely similar experiences that aren't going through totally different kinds of life and worldview living and that sort of thing. And, Ex and and experiment with how they use social media a little bit differently and then see how how things result. And so what the study from the University of North Carolina has revealed after um, studying a couple hundred preteens to teenagers between the ages of, of 12 and 15, so middle schoolers, basically, um, what they realized was is that preteens to teenagers, middle schoolers who were who were uh, checking their phone uh, 15 or more times per day, which might sound like a lot, but it's not. And and don't get in your heads that this is like, oh my gosh, these teens checking their phones 15 times a day. I promise their parents are checking them at, at least that much by lunch. So um, it's 15 times per day seems like a lot, and it, and it is, but it's not like an exorbitant amount, a ridiculous right. amount. And so they're checking their phone, you know, in middle school, checking their phones 15 or more times a day, checking their social media feeds, not just their phones, but their social media feeds 15 or more times a day. Um, they showed a, a heightened sensitivity to social rewards. Now, what this doesn't mean is that they were more sensitive snowflake kids or something. That's not what this is saying. Now, it certainly could mean that they're more sensitive to um, you know, mean comments or people who are being jerks. It could mean that, but it also just means that they're more sensitive to social rewards generally. They're more socially aware and more concerned about how they relate to their peers. Um, and so the basic gist from this study is, A, take this with a grain of salt, uh, because there are so many things that affect how teens interact socially, especially in middle school, which is just awful <laughs> for yeah. anybody listening who remembers their middle school experience. I mean, I don't know about you, but mine was not fun. Um, and so there are so many factors affecting teenagers in middle school that let's take this with a grain of salt. But what the data and the the experiment seems to show is those teens who use social media more are more engaged, more concerned, more perhaps even anxious socially than those who don't use social media quite as much. Those who use social media a little bit less, 14 or fewer times per day are checking a feed of, of some kind, are a little bit less sensitive to social rewards and perhaps reputational status, things like that. These are generalizations and general observations this is not this should not be taken to say if you check your phone more you're going to be a more vain snowflakey uh <laughs> you know sensitive person now could we could could teens tend to that way if they use more social media is there plenty of anecdotal evidence circumstantial evidence to maybe point in that direction yes and i've seen it for you know near a decade as i've studied this stuff but this is not a causal relationship and we should just kind of hold it with an open hand, I guess. Okay. Because I, I, as I think you shared the article with us or I forgot where I saw it, but Seattle schools are looking at suing, you know, Facebook and TikTok and Instagram yeah. and, and, you know, YouTube and such because they feel there is enough evidence to say yeah. you're making the mental health crisis among our students worse. And so 
it's interesting what's happening. Let let me speak. Yeah. I'd like to speak to that. Yeah. I, I really, I applaud their concern and I applaud their effort in doing that. I don't think they have a chance in court as much as I understand these things, because this is why we sign terms of service. And this is why I jokingly (laughs) name my book and my newsletter terms of service is we're basically agreeing when we sign up for these things that, you know, like we're liable for that. It's not um, what they, what, what I don't think they have though. I would be, I would love to be wrong. Let me be clear. I would love to be wrong here is I don't think the folks who are suing saying that social media is, you know, negatively affecting teenagers' brains and anxiety and such, they don't have quite the same case as, you know, the the folks who sued the cigarette manufacturers a few decades ago had, right? Because that's a little bit easier to establish a causal relationship between cigarette use and cancer rather than social media use and anxiety and depression. Now, do I think there is a relationship there? 100% yes, but it is a little bit harder to prove. And when that comes to a court case, it's, they're just going to have a hard case to make from a from a um, clear evidential standpoint. I think all of us are kind of aware of this, uh, but it's just really hard to prove, I think, in a legal setting. Yeah, probably, probably. Well, um, when we get back to talking with Chris here in a few moments, you know, we're only day 13, of, it's Friday the 13th, but it's day 13 of January, still in the new year. And uh, Chris recently wrote about five social media predictions for 2023. We'll talk through some of those shortly here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Okay, if listening is hard in the morning for you because you're getting up and have to get to something else and, you know, we're talking about stuff like we are with Chris Martin going, okay, I'm going to miss out because I have to get into work or whatever. Hey, not a problem. You can download the Faith Radio app and then listen to the podcast later of Mornings with Carmen or Afternoons with Bill or Susie Larson Live. They're all up there. Again, we're talking with Chris Martin from the Terms of Service blog and uh, Chris is putting on his prognosticating hat. He's a... looking into the future, and he has uh, some predictions for social media in 2023. Have you done this before, Chris? Yeah, I think I have done it before, and I don't remember how many were right. I need to go back and look, because uh, I, I only make predictions that are like, I, I try to make ones that are fun and not just like safe, right? Like, I don't want to <laughs> predict that Facebook is con- going to continue to lose users next year, because they probably are, or, you <laughs> yeah. know, just, I want to, I, when I make my predictions, I want to make some more like fun kind of uh, it'd be interesting to see if this happens kind of prediction. So um, that's why I think, you know, most of these will probably end up being wrong in some way, but they're fun to think about and consider. So first, uh, I don't think Twitter's going to change a whole lot. Now, look, uh, predicting Elon Musk is about as easy to predict for me to predict, you know, the weather or how the stock market is going to perform today. Um, so who knows what's going to happen uh, with Twitter in the next year. But, you know, there's just a lot made about Twitter in the last three or four months of 2022. And I just think, 
2023 might be a little bit quieter for Twitter. And I think if you're a Twitter user like me, you're probably going to see half a dozen or even a dozen significant new features or changes to the platform in the next year. But I don't think Twitter is going to like stop existing this year. Now, they've always been in a precarious situation financially. Twitter has always been one of the worst performing social media platforms financially out there. Their ads have never sold well because they're not very effective and just a whole other host of financial issues. So I am interested to see how that goes, and that could put them in a in a tough place. But I just don't think that Twitter is going to dramatically change. Like maybe if you were hanging around on it in November, you might think it would have. Um, number two, TikTok will continue to burn hot, but maybe not for very long. Uh, TikTok is just facing incredibly difficult regulatory headwinds. Mm-hmm. I, I love TikTok as an app and as a platform. I think it's my favorite social media platform since Vine, and they're very similar. And I just think there's such creativity there and such good good content, entertaining and and insightful stuff that I found there. But obviously, its relationship with China coming out of China is, is yeah. only going to hurt it moving forward. Yeah, there's and another I think the couple United of states. Government, yeah, another couple of states are just saw yeah. uh, Michigan. Yeah. I forget who else is basically putting restrictions on government phones that would have it. So. Right. And and I think the United States has been threatening just outright banning it for a couple of years now. And I think either they will this year or like Apple will remove it from the App Store, which would effectively kind of kill it. So right. we'll see. Uh, no, number three, very quickly, YouTube will only grow in its dominance. Um, YouTube is the biggest social media platform mm-hmm. in the world, even though many don't think of it that way. And they have a sh- platform called Shorts that they're really ramping up, which is kind of their answer to TikTok. TikTok yeah. And I do think that if, you know, if TikTok goes away by June, uh, Shorts will kind of YouTube Shorts will kind of maybe fill in its shoes a little bit more than even Instagram Reels, which gets me number four. Um, I think Meta will continue to cling to Instagram for relevance. Meta is losing tons of Facebook users every quarter right now for mm-hmm. the first time in its long story history. And it's losing a ton of money as it invests in the metaverse. And so I think Instagram is really going to kind of be its savior moving forward. I don't think it's I don't think Meta Facebook is going to go away, but mm-hmm. I do think that it's going to have some struggles in the year ahead. And then finally, um, my fifth prediction is that something new will come up. You know, last year, 2022, as much as it was the year of TikTok, it was the year of Be Real, um, a social media app about being authentic and not showing polished things about your life, but just kind of showing where you are in the moment. And I think every year, a new social media app that that has some validity and some interest does rise up. I don't think it's going to be a Facebook killer or anything like that. I think the days of us talking about those are gone. I think we've all kind of come to a point where we have time for seven social media apps every day, right? Um, but I think I think something new will come up that will really, as always, start among teenagers and explode yeah. and then maybe get up to an older group. So okay. those are just some predictions that I have. Yeah. What? You didn't include the issue about Parler in those predictions? Uh, yeah, yeah. Parlor is definitely on its last legs. So we'll see they're they're laying off people left and right. And, uh, it'll, you know, I always wondered it could maybe work. But but when you take a bunch of folks who like, you know, arguing with people of different political persuasions out of an environment where there are different political persuasions and you get them all in a room together, you start to run out of people to argue with. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I always wondered how it would work. And it's starting to really lose a lot of money and it's starting to lay off staff as a result. So. Yeah, you can only slice the meat so thin when you're arguing at yeah, that right. point. Right, right. Hey, you actually wrote about that. That's on your Terms of Service blog. And in that article or in that uh, in that post you also talked, and this kind of brings things full circle as we were talking about teens beforehand and Insta and uh, Facebook, they're introducing some new limits when with about regard to ads targeting teens. 
Yeah, I mean, some of the biggest lawsuit threats and actual lawsuits that Facebook Meta has faced in the last three or four years have been around how they handle targeting teenagers with ads. Because obviously, if you're targeting teenagers, people under 18, there are strict rules about uh, children and advertisements. Mm -hmm. And so um, Facebook and social media in general, but Facebook especially, has always just played very fast and loose with how they handle teenage data and marketing to teenagers and that sort of thing. Um, And so finally, they're starting to introduce some more limits on targeting teenagers. Uh, This is... I don't think anybody should pat them on the back for this from a sort of moral standpoint. They're doing this to cover themselves as much as anything uh, to try to protect themselves from further lawsuits, because obviously they're just vast legal issues around things like this, as there should be. And Facebook really just needs to go on the defensive because pretty soon they may not be able to afford to keep shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars of legal fees and and fines for how it handles data. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for keeping on top of all the social media stuff for us. It really does help. Of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> glad, to he- glad to be here and talk about it as usual, and uh, good to chat with you today. All right. That's Chris Martin. Again, the terms of sur- – oh, Chris, before you go, your next book, which is what, due out in March? Yeah, it comes out in March, first week of March. It's called The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways Social Media Threatens the People You Lead. For pastors, community group leaders, parents even. It's not a parenting book, but I think it is applicable to parents. Um, For anybody who's really in charge of shepherding other people, and you might be thinking, man, social media is really changing how my kids think or how the people in my community group think and live. Um, If you're feeling that way, uh, that's... That's what this book is for. So first week of March, I'm sure we'll talk about it more between oh, now I'm and then, sure. Paul. But, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, the Wolf in Their Pockets. You can pre-order on Amazon or wherever else. The Wolf in Their Pockets <laughs> is what it's called. You can. And I'm looking at it from a resource. I mean, uh, you also help out with youth at your church, right? And so – Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of a you, – you're kind of a pastoral approach to this here, uh, at least from a youth leader standpoint, helping others understand how to better engage and deal with that wolf. So again, Chris, thank you so much. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today on Mornings with Carmen. And on, did you celebrate uh, the new year by singing Amazing Grace? I know it's not a common thing to do, but The song, the John Newton hymn, Amazing Grace, this year, actually on January 1st, turned 250 years old. It was first presented to his congregation at uh, the, let's see, the St. Peter and St. Paul Church in Buckinghamshire in the market town of Olney. Yeah, as part of his New Year's service that year. So yes, Amazing Grace, the most loved, probably him of the church, translated in the most languages, I think still, maybe how great is our God has surpassed it, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's been around a long time. Happy birthday, amazing grace. More Mornings with Carmen on the way. Again, remember, you can listen to it later on the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.